MCU.html is brought to you by the Cage Club Network for all things movies, media, music, comics, and more. Check out the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Whip Thwip, Scarlet Spiders and Spider Gwens. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And a Marvel movie came out today, so you know we're covering it. This is HTML, the return of the Marvel movies. MCU.html has returned. It's good to be home. It is. Not that I didn't enjoy talking about how much I didn't enjoy the X-Men movies, and also how much I did enjoy them. There were a lot of things to love. And not that it's not that we aren't going to be planning to do a lot of things here on this show, hence the name being HTML, Husbands Talking More or Less, and not, you know, Husbands Only Talking Marvel Movies. But it's nice to be back. It's nice to have a chance to revisit these characters. When we last left our heroes, we had seen the world be saved, the unsnapping done by Hulk, and then the really expert, high-quality level dying done by Tony, and then Steve getting super old really, really quickly for us. Yeah, we're going to come back to that one. Our next installment is going to be our full reaction to Endgame, which has been a long time coming, a long time digesting. Yeah, that one's going to be a doozy. But for now, now we are dealing with the aftermath and the blip, as it is apparently called. And that is your first sign that if you have not seen Spider-Man Far From Home yet, you should definitely, definitely turn this episode off and come back to it after you have. Unless you're looking to be spider-spoiled, which absolutely, you could be looking to weave a web of information in advance. But before we talk too much about the film so that anybody who, for whatever reason, can't find how to turn off their device has a chance to turn off their device, I think one of the most important things going into this movie was I had an expectation of seeing my friendly neighborhood Spider-Man in his friendly neighborhood. In fact, the trailers did a really great job of making me think we were going to spend any time in New York City. But Kevo, I believe it was you who pointed out to me an interesting bit of information that really, if you're somebody who's seen the trailers... Uh. Oh, yeah. Some of the early trailers for the film where you would see Peter going around running his errands, doing all sorts of things before his trip. All of those were filmed and withheld from the film on purpose and are going to be part of a Blu-ray special feature, which is really interesting. I think it's a really good use of their time. I kind of think I know what you're trying to say. Like, instead of concerning themselves with things like Marvel one-shots, they're finding ways to create layers of storytelling that come together. And in fact, it's something really true to the Marvel Universe narrative going back a long time. They've made such an art out of the post-credit tag. And in the car ride home from our movie theater, I said to Kevo, I actually enjoyed both tags, but for my sake, I don't love the idea of the tag. I also don't love the idea of the concert encore. Just, no, it's three minutes that you should just play another fucking song. I just, I, 
I paid $112. I want to see Tori Amos front row. And I want to get that one song that, that I lose because we've decided that people walk off stage for a minute. Why? 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 Well, no, but here's the thing about post and mid credit sequences. They're a little bit to trick you into watching the credits. Those are all the people that made the movie. So really what they're doing is forcing you to acknowledge and pay attention to those people's names. And you still don't, obviously. I don't agree. I love watching the credits. I noticed that there are two people named Mateo whose names are within like eight slots of one another. And I was thinking to myself, like if their families came out to see this movie, they'd be like, Mateo, there you Oh, no, they're, they're Oh, no, now I found you. That there would have been like Mateo confusion. And how frequently do you find Mateo confusion? But you know, most people don't watch credits. People stopped respecting credits a long time ago, which is how they got moved from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. It's how you and I, so Kevo and I have been together since forever ago. It's the dawn of time. Really, truly. I mean, oh my God, does the phrase Bush administration mean anything to you? So we have a specific funny memory of a class, and I don't remember what class it was even, but one of the people in this class was like, wait, you mean that the actors don't write their own characters on television shows? You mean somebody writes that in advance? And we had to be like, do you really, do, do you really, what? Yeah, there's people that think that the actors just make it up. Russell T. Davis tells a story like that in some Doctor Who forward for some book or something where a cab driver was like, oh, the actors don't just make it up as they go. Oh, there really are people who don't understand all the work that goes into these films. Yeah. And I get to an extent being blown away because there's times I still find out what jobs are in the credits and I'm just like, shut your fucking mouth. I think it is awesome that that is someone's job. I did not know that was a specific person's job. But now that I do, I'm about skis. But at the same time, at the same time, I think by making so much fuss around these sequences, frequently these sequences are so separate from the narrative. Kevo, you had a specifically strong negative reaction to the material in the second tag being so segmented from the film. You felt very much that it almost nullified the movie if you accidentally left early, thinking there was no post credit scene. And we will get to that. But I know that specifically did affect you, this film. It did, especially because I felt like so much of the plot of this film was already disjointed. It feels like forever until we get to what the actual plot is or what any questions about Beck are. And I think I remember at one point someone comparing the twist from this film to the Mandarin. And I sort of agree with that in a manner of speaking, but it's more that I feel like the film was marketed in a way that was needless to keep a reveal. Jake Gyllenhaal was playing Mysterio. We all pretty much had a great idea that he was going to end up being a villain anyway. And, you know, I want to interact with that because there's something you said that I think is really great. For a while, it kind of felt like movies, TV, and comics were at the mercy of spoiler culture. 
things were so heavily bound by the idea that this information might leak early. And we've talked about these leaks. We've talked about how sometimes it's a Lego toy or sometimes it's a 7-Eleven cup that blows a major reveal. And Kevo, you've very interestingly pointed out how infrequently Marvel slips up and uses a scene from later in the film in most of their trailer work. It also pulls to mind, though, that they were very clear to say that everything you'd seen for Endgame was only in the first 10 minutes in those initial trailers. And what's so funny is when we get to it, and I'm really excited to talk about it, I feel like the first like 20 minutes of Endgame was possibly pitched as a separate movie. And somebody at Marvel was like, no, don't do it. It's no, it's not. It's no, it will be unfulfilling. No, no, no. Well, no. I think it's actually that, and I will talk more in detail about it, but it's basically the first 20 minutes of Endgame either could have been at the end of Infinity War or the beginning of Endgame, and they chose to cut the film the way that they did. Uh, it's either that or it's just that the snap would have been removed, but either way, it, it's very clear that the first 20 minutes of Endgame are essentially just a tag to Infinity War, and it's not until the end of that tag that the movie really begins. In a lot of ways, if, you want, if you're listening to X's for Podcast, our show where we talk about comic books, it's kind of like an annual that finishes up a big arc in a weird way. It's this bigger story, but it, it's kind of off on its own. But anyway, now I kind of feel like we're beginning to live in an anxiety-riddled state of misdirect culture and slow-reveal culture. And I feel like one of the things that we're starting to see is this attempt to misdirect what a film is going to be. I'm not sure if I think that that's something we're specifically seeing a rise of. I definitely agree that there are films that do and have done it, and I definitely would agree that this is one of those films. Well, to support my point, I want to point to a couple of things we've actually spoken about. Dark Phoenix... They worked very hard to make it impossible to tell that Vuck is actually the villain of the film. With Captain Marvel, they worked very hard to make sure that you weren't aware that the Skrulls were ultimately good guys. With Endgame, they worked to mask what the actual plot of the film was. Here, we saw an attempt to misdirect people to make them believe there would be more early on New York scenes when there weren't. We're really entering a point where films are struggling to shock, so they are making you think from trailers, oh, I guess what I read can't be true. I feel like, though, for this film, we were told things about it that weren't just misdirects, but were specifically untrue. We were told to buy into this concept of Mysterio is from another world, and it has to do with the aftermath of Endgame, and the way that Kevin Feige kept hitting that Spider-Man Far From Home is a necessary tag to the end of Phase 3, and I was just sort of hoping for more, I believe. I think in some ways it is a tag to Phase 3, but... Only in so far as Ant-Man is for phase two. I If it's a tag for this whole phase, it's not a very exciting one. It sort of feels like far more dramatically reduced stakes than I had been expecting. And I understand what you're talking about because I feel like 
the multiverse isn't even really highlighted in the trailers or commercials or teasers. And then it's kind of skimmed over here as people who had been hoping that going to Europe and talking about the multiverse was possibly going to introduce my favorite Captain Britain. I feel disappointed in that regard. And the stakes do feel incredibly low. But part of that might be, now to jump into the film, to finally get into talking about it, part of that might be how much of it possibly didn't actually happen, even though we saw it. Well, fun fact for you, Captain Britain was considered to be put in this movie. I'm going to look for more information on that for the fuller Spider-Man Far From Home episode. But yeah, now I have to question why was he going to be in it? What would it have had to do with anything? You know, opening the door to the concept of the multiverse and then very, very, very quickly shutting it. It's not to say that we won't ever see anything like that in the MCU ever again. But when I thought we were going to zig and instead we zagged. It's not that the zag was bad, but that's not at all where my brain had been thinking that I was supposed to be prepared to go. To jump over, because I mean, you've seen the movie, so who kind of cares about the order right now? There's a reaction video. It kind of tied into how I felt about Captain Marvel. One of the things I felt about Captain Marvel was I don't know where the scrolls are landing, and we find out here that they are in like some sort of like super space station that Nick Fury lives on, and Talos is masquerading as Nick Fury throughout the film, and I don't know if that's Talos's wife as Maria Hill. Yeah. Oh, so good because I mean we walked away from Captain Marvel in love with that fit with that character set. Yeah, and I. I sort of purposely accidentally, you know, as part of my job, spoiled myself for what the post credit scenes were going to be. So I was kind of aware that they were going to be scrolls. I didn't know it was going to be Talos and Soren. So that's pretty cool. And I'm really, I also didn't know that Nick Fury was going to be on a spaceship, like that we were going to see that. I'm really hoping that that's leading somewhere cool into Captain Marvel's inevitable sequels. That has me excited for that. Um, as a viewer of the film, I don't know how it made me feel about Maria and Nick throughout the entire film to find out after the fact that it hadn't been them the, them the whole time, but it does sort of feed into a core theme of this film, which is perception of reality and what is the truth. Oh, man, I can't wait to touch on that. But to jump back a second... That's actually how I feel about the scrolls being in this film. They were kind of glossed over at the end of Captain Marvel. Up, oh, the scrolls are off on their way. Bye-bye! But here, the scrolls became a thing, and they were so cool. And, oh, Talos is so cool. And I feel like we could see Nick Fury be like, well, now I'm investigating the multiverse. We're going to call this one 616. Why the hell not? And I feel like that might be what we see them do. But... The idea of identity was central to this film. Who we really are, who is the suit, what is the mask, no matter who's in the costume, the idea isn't that the world needs a new Iron Man or the world needs a new Tony Stark, it's that the world needs a new beacon of brilliant hope in a, regardless of how you feel about him, personable package. And that's what this film is about. This film is about the vacuum left by Iron Man, and it had to be a coda to phase three, because if you started phase four on a we can't get past Iron Man note, you'd be struggling the same uphill battle Iron Man three had following Avengers. And to go a little bit further on your parallels of 
Peter being the new Iron Man and bringing things full circle. Let, let's put the cart before the horse and talk about the other credits tag and the point that you made of how Peter being outed is very much similar to Tony's I Am Iron Man at the end of Iron Man 1 back in 2008. Absolutely. One of the things that this film franchise is enjoying doing as it has come further into its own is it's loving a balanced sense of symmetry. I commented to Kevo when we rewatched Endgame how funny it was that the film opens with Tony trapped in a giant bit of armor with a female OS operation system with him waiting to be rescued after being stranded somewhere and escaping how much it parallels Iron Man 1. And I felt the same thing about this. The Marvel Cinematic Universe spent the first few years paralleling the comics because that was all there was to parallel. And now there is so much Marvel Cinematic Universe, they get to parallel themselves. And it's creating some really powerful imagery. There is what might have been my favorite moment in the entire film when Peter is on the Stark jet and he's building his Iron Man armor and he's waving his hands around just like Tony would. And I have to wonder how much he doesn't even realize that he's channeling Tony. How much does he just think he's playing with his new toy? And to see Happy, who is so well featured here, and it almost makes up for the complete bullshit they gave us blowing him up at the beginning of Iron Man 3. Really, Happy was a nice touch. I accept that we're probably never going to see Pepper Potts again because Gwyneth Paltrow is you know, goopy crazy. She doesn't even know what she's filming anymore. I still can't get over that news item that she didn't know that she was in Spider-Man Homecoming. And Tom Holland said that that was devastating for him to hear. So fucking weird. So no, I don't expect to see Pepper Potts ever again. That's fine. Happy seems to be perfectly happy to keep showing up. Him and Aunt May was uh, kind of cute, kind of fun, kind of weird, kind of dumb, but it's fine, ultimately. And I actually want to jump in on something because we're constantly talking about hetero visibility in this film. Some big deals were made about including a trans actor, which I thought was terrific. But the core of this film is heterosexuality is everything. I feel like every single character had some sort of romance narrative, except the one crazy bad guy who was just in love with hating Tony Stark. Yeah, but he had like a fake family. He was a fake widower. And then it turns out that Nick Fury and Maria Hill were secretly a married Skrull couple the entire time. There's the Happy and Aunt May stuff. There's the Ned and Betty stuff. And then a major narrative thread of the entire film is the competition between peter and that hot dude and brad and brad and them both trying to get mj i i would like to point out that for as heterosexualized as the entire story and film is the film is really hyper unsexualized we only just saw peter parker get his first real kiss because liz kisses him on the cheek i think at the end of homecoming liz i was like i know vulture wasn't hey where the fuck was vulture yeah, wasn't, was vulture? wasn't vulture supposed to be in this yes he was i know i was thinking that too maybe but anyway, he's my in the point. oh but maybe he's in that thing maybe he maybe he's in that thing it will peter will visit him on the way to summer vacation peter's to-do list i hope not that'd be weird that'd be that actually i don't care do whatever you want it's fine <laughs>
I think the thing that I had the biggest problem with in this film was mostly how all the superhero stuff came together. It was a really enjoyable film overall. You know, the other night, Nico and I were watching an episode of our forever favorite sitcom, Happy Endings, and finding ourselves laughing more than usual at this one episode. So I said to myself, as I usually do, who fucking wrote this one? And it was Eric Summers, co-writer of this film with Chris McKenna. The two of them previously worked on Spider-Man Homecoming and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Very funny writers, obviously, and I enjoyed all of that. I enjoyed all of the human things about this film. It was really more the superhero stuff, the villain stuff, not understanding what the story was or what it was going to be. Maybe it'll play back better a second time, but that sort that stuff sort of didn't entirely track for me as much. And I really like what you're saying, because in that regard, I couldn't help but notice the way Spider-Man has opted out of adjectival titles, despite him having so many adjectival comic titles. He just gets subtitles. It's just Spider-Man, Homecoming, Spider-Man, Black German Forest Cake. And it made me think, it's kind of like you could subtitle Homecoming, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, and you could subtitle this one, Peter Parker Spider-Man. Because this movie is a Peter Parker movie, not a Spider-Man movie. Not a Spider-Man movie in any way. In fact, this movie is all about how Peter Parker is actually Iron Man. So it's a little ludicrous to me that it you know that's that's my opinion i totally understand where you're coming from i think it's a really valid point this does not feel like a spider-man movie feels like a peter parker movie and i think we were due for a peter parker movie that didn't involve the phrase oh god i let someone shoot uncle ben and i guess that's the thing about it too similarly to how i'd been expecting a multiverse movie and simply got illusions and drones michael i had been expecting a spider-man movie not a peter parker movie but it definitely delivered very well on a peter parker movie and until we come back to talk about endgame and then shortly thereafter that my precious zendaya and probably talk about tom holland getting hit in the face with a banana where can everybody find you on the interwebs kever you can find me on the interwebs cover at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me on the Facebook page for this lovely show, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Official HTML. You can also find me at KidRiotComics.com, producing really cool superhero stories of our own. Nico, where can everyone find you? You can find me all over this here great network on shows like X's for Podcast, where along with an amazing team, we talk about the uncanny X-Men comic book franchise. Currently, we're in the 80s, and we're exploring the unbelievable period of expansion the X-Men saw in that early decade. You can also find me on Now and Again, where I talk about sometimes the Now That's What I Call Musics, sometimes the Carly, no, always Carly Rae Jepsen's discography. And if you want to join in on that drinking game, it's drink anytime I bring up BT, Tori Amos, Mariah Carey, or Janet Jackson. Uh, unfortunately, we have lost a lot of listeners due to liver poisoning, and uh, it's been a tough road. You can also find me being half naked on Instagram over at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. All right, cool. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Bye.